This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 635 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one this week, but I'm sure you know me as the internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm Joe Subordinate and the second head on this show who's been demoted because, as our latest iTunes review reads, he's getting more annoying as he gets older. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> my name is Matt Baum, and it's time for another cosmic longbox show where our sentient longbox that uses the power cosmic itself will fling us through time and space so we can discuss comics of yore. I was going to say yester yore, but just yours, fine. Yeah, your or yesteryear or your yeah or of your yeah. up. Uh, I was not gonna mention that review to you. Um, I, I love it. Just I, I like it. Point of point of clarity. Uh, they called you obnoxious. <laughs> oh, more obnoxious as I'm getting older. Perfect. <laughs> After that, we'll set you nerds up with our must read picks for next week's new comics. But as you can hear, the cosmic long box is about to open. And suck us into the time stream, and man, is today's journey gonna be a rough ride. On the last cover to cover, we discussed news that Nick Spencer was undoing one of the worst Spider Man storylines ever committed to comics. And that's no lie, it's Sin's Past, which saw Gwen Stacy getting preggers with Norman Osborn's twins. As it happens, Cosmic Longbox was listening, so it demanded we travel the comic time stream to see how some of history's most reviled storylines got their start in an episode we're calling Bad Beginnings. Joe Patrick, since you're the only one anybody likes on this show, why don't you start us off? <laughs> I can't help it. I'm charming. We'll kick things off with Action Comics number 592. It's from DC Comics. The year was 1987. It's written in John by John Byrne. And here is a, a brief synopsis. After finding herself in the suicide slum of Metropolis, Big Barda is captured by a villain so lowly, even Apocalypse cast him out. Can Superman rescue her from a life of forced depravity? Spoiler alert. No, he cannot. <laughs> Uh, this immediately post-crisis era of Action Comics served as a way for Superman to get reacquainted with the larger DC universe following the big reboot. Every issue was like a team-up. Uh, right. Uh, it was like DC team-up, Superman and the Teen Titans, Superman and the Middleman. Which was nice. This is Superman they're, they're and Big Barda. It's great. Here's who's here. Here's who knows each other. It was good. Yes. Right. And uh, it's, it was a good time for the most part. And then there was this issue. How fortunate for Superman that his reintroduction to Big Barda and next issue of Mr. Miracle came courtesy of cosmic sewer dwelling pornographer Sleaze. Like a name right out of the George Lucas playbook. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> well, he's a bad guy and he's into like, you know, like subjugating women. How about Sleaze? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that right. don't work. It's like, this is, did his mom name him that like, is what I want to know. Byrne, who would go on to show his love for Jack Kirby's fourth world in a number of projects does such an enormous disservice to Big Barda that he probably shouldn't have been left let anywhere near the characters again. 
Sure, she has a chance to display her awesome strength and combat prowess, but at the same time, Burn completely robs her of her agency and has Sleaze pass her around to be used in disgustingly vile ways. That part, uh, I don't remember if you see in this issue. I read both because I needed to see how it ended to remind myself, but they definitely say that Big Barda, she did some stuff. They didn't in this issue. She just had her dancing around. Uh, yeah, one. nope, she did. She did. And uh, yeah, like the actual, the guy, the the distributor that's taking all this, the tapes from sleeves is like, yeah, you got to give me some more of that big body chick. Are you sure they weren't just like freaking out about her dancing around? Because that's all that happens they in this one. definitely are not. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The best part, though, is that it is all wrapped up in the next issue. Superman narrowly escapes filming a sex tape. Thanks to his strong moral fortitude. That's good. <laughs> That's not all it took. I like he was being mind controlled. Right. And Barda seems totally fine. Even her husband isn't all that bothered by it in the end. Uh, God, I don't know. Like they, they are, they are either the most well-adjusted people in the DC universe or life on apocalypse is so bad that this is nothing in comparison. I think that's it. I like think life on apocalypse. Like, uh, oh, you, you were know, in a sex like, tape. We're from apocalypse. <laughs> sure. I mean, and that's, if you want to give your, if you want to write yourself a no prize, uh, a version, uh, a DC version of the no prize letter to the editor about it, go for it. Uh, at least Burns art is nice. <laughs> Action Comics 592 starts an infamous Superman tale, best left forgotten. I'm giving this a leave it. I thought the art was really good. The art is really good. <laughs> the, the art, art is really, really good. good. Um, yeah, this. I'm sorry, but I find it hard to believe that Big Barda can just like. There's some dude, the name Sleaze. He's can, got a mind. He's got some sort of mind control thing. And I get that. Whatever. But like, this is Big Barda we're talking about. Whatever. And they also, they take it a few steps further. Not even that. Let, let's, let's roll back. Superman, like, oh man, she's in Suicide Slum. Suicide Slum is like the worst part of Metropolis where people that are completely worthless, that have totally given up on life and have nothing left to live and are just a filth and like lowest form of life that have That's absolutely not no hope. Says. The way that he says it, it's just like, Superman, these are poor people, okay? I mean, it's a bad place. It's a bad place where bad things happen, but like, Superman I tried to, I tried to fix suicide slum and I couldn't do it. There was just nothing I could do. These people are fucked. Now let's go find Big Bar. <laughs> like, damn, Kinda. Superman. Kind of gave up on Suicide Slum, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know. They were they were trying to make some statements here. They didn't do a good job. Of were it. they though? Like, what statements are they making? I, mean, I don't like, really understand. Obviously, like she bumps into the pimp guy and throws the pimp aside. Yeah, you know? yes. And like, so he was, yeah. Suicide Slum is a place where like bad shit like this happens. And and Burn was trying to say, see, this is bad. This is all really gnarly. Don't do this. He misses the mark. <laughs> I'm giving this a leave it as well. But I feel like the intentions were probably good. Let's flash forward to 1995, when it was time to reinvent the Avengers. So this was Avengers The Crossing, number one from Marvel. It was written by Bob Harris and Terry Cavanaugh, with art by a young, spry Mike Diodato Jr. Bob Harris had a plan to completely reimagine Iron Man, and it all starts here, in one of the most confusing, overly dramatic, Jim Lee, Rob Lee Fieldian, X-Manning of the Avengers that left me wondering what in the hell just happened. The story starts with a time-traveling woman calling herself Yellow Jacket that I thought might be Janet Van Dyne. It's not. Somebody else. Who travels to the future where the Avengers are dead and she narrates her every thought and move right up to the point 
that Iron Man, with big bulging future gauntlets, murders her. Who was she? No clue. Why did Tony kill her? No reason listed here. Oh, that's right. Okay, (laughs) yes. Yes. Now that you've said that, I am reminded. She is totally different character. female yellow jacket from the... She was originally from the Masters of Evil. Yes. And she would later go on to join the Guardians of the Galaxy before she's killed. From there, it seems like the story flashes back to the present, but there's nothing to confirm that. In this present, we see Wasp, Crystal, Quicksilver, Giant Man, and Beast were introduced as your Avengers to stop a mugger on the subway, which is definitely Avengers business. Hawkeye shows up and he's pissed because he wasn't invited to the Avengers founding anniversary and he's being a huge dick about it. And when I say huge, I mean, when he shows up, Mike Diodato draws him standing on top of a car and he looks like he's 13 feet tall. That's <laughs> true. In the meantime, Tony's doing a lot of reminiscing about his childhood. Wanda is wearing a trench coat over a new outfit. Herc has no beard and everybody has these Avengers bomber jackets on. Yeah. It's uh, so this is the This is bad. the era where U.S. agent is wearing like some sort of spandex onesie. Right. Uh, that's not a take on the classic Captain America outfit. It, it's terribly bad. Oh. This U.S. agent comic is bad. Uh, all of these costumes are just painfully awful the redesigns are just terrible and you can tell they're trying to make them so 90s and hip now joe i'm going to read you a line of dialogue and i want you to guess which avenger this is they scream no way jose you can say that again speedy gonzalez that's 10 demerits for you okay folks one more time and let's give it some feeling a one and a two and a three and then they go avengers assemble if you had to guess who would you think that was well, that's got to be my man, Hank, Hank McCoy. Of course, it sounds just like Hank McCoy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. This is a setup issue, but I have no idea who some of these characters are. And honestly, there are at least three characters that look like they could be the Wasp. Yeah, like I'm flipping through this again, and I swear to God, the character from the beginning that is Yellow Jacket revealed to be Yellow Jacket. Right. She's got uh, her hair changes lengths. And it goes from red to brown. And later on in the issue, the wasp shows up looking the exact same. And then later, the exact same. Later on, we get Black Widow in a new costume with very similar red hair. And they all have zero waistline, giant boobs and legs that are eight and a half feet long. Another character here named Death Cry had no Uh, clue who it was. Mad shout out to my man Nomadic underscore figures on Instagram. Who let me know, this is definitely one of the more obscure Avengers ever. What I do remember was that, one, she was a part of the Space Suicide Squad in the Annihilation Wave with Star-Lord, which is basically the prototype Guardians, and two, she was Lalandra's niece. And he goes on to say, what an odd character. And I have to agree. (laughs) Yes, uh, so at the time, there were many hints. Oh, God. Speaking of the death cry, I just got to this picture of death cry leaning over Luna's crib Good Lord. with her claws bared. Right. The story is borderline nonsensical with the level of time travel. And I get that time travel stories are going to be weird and wacky and we're bouncing back and forth. But the writers don't tell you this is the future. This is the past. This character is this character. This character is dead in the future. This character is not who you think it is. They're in the past. You didn't realize that was Wasp? Sorry, our bad. You know, something <laughs> yeah. along those lines would have been yes, very helpful. Right. And the only way that they end up directing the story is Hercules, out of nowhere, 
suddenly remembering something he heard in a dream. (laughs) What is going on? The crossing. Uh, I did. I did appreciate the Gilgamesh appearance, though. Good Lord. The crossing. Gilgamesh, the forgotten one, shows up for no reason at all. Right. And that's what triggers Herc's memory. He's like, oh, shit. And it was like one. The oldest of you will get even older or something along those lines. The Crossing is now infamous for being one of the worst Avengers stories of all time. From here, the story would twist and turn through 25 issues. Oh, no shit. You got to be kidding me. Are you kidding? No, that's not. That's not true. Is that true? Absolutely true. If you want to count the tie ins, I don't want to count the tie. Don't do it. Trust me. I'm not going to. We're not doing this ever again. The Crossing was set up to reinvent Iron Man, and it did so by making him a spy for Kang the Conqueror, who brainwashed Tony. And guess when that happened? The very first time they met, meaning that Tony had been working for Kang since Avengers 8, printed in 1964. (laughs) Yes, uh, unknowing, unknowingly, Tony had, had been a spy for Kang since the introduction of Kang. After Tony is revealed as a spy, the Avengers decide the only way they can fight an evil Tony is with another Tony. So they pull Teen Tony out of time, and he kills old Tony. Teen Tony was so cool that he was written out of continuity by the first Heroes Reborn event just about a year after this shit happened. <laughs> no, no, it took a it took a couple years. Was but, it? Uh, yeah, because uh, Teen Tony was still Iron Man when Onslaught happened. Mm-hmm. And so when that's, they came, that's where they killed him. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in 1997, so I guess two years later, when the Avengers came back, it was the only way to undo it. That's the yes. only way you could undo crap like this. But like in Heroes Reborn, obviously Tony is is adult Tony, but uh, it, when the heroes came back to their proper selves in 1997, Tony was an adult again, and Kurt Busiek literally just was like, "Fuck if I know." Right. That's not all that happens here, though. Janet Van Dyne gets mortally wounded, but don't worry. She spins a cocoon, and when she comes out, she has real bug wings and antenna again for reasons. Yeah, Yeah, she looks like a bug. This is Mike Diodato doing his best. Oh, you like Rob Liefeld? Well, then check this out impression, which includes some of the worst Avengers designs ever. Everyone has an Avengers bomber jacket, like we said. There's gold shin guards to go around. Beast is wearing a backwards baseball cap. And even though Thor is only here for one panel, it was enough for me to recoil and Joe to scream, why is he green? Thor was never green. Oh, and the chains and spikes are here, too. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, this was from Diodato drew this run of Thor as well with this costume. This is a special kind of 90s garbage and easily. One of the worst Avengers comics I've ever encountered. I am so thankful that I have not read this whole story. That said, I did go down the rabbit hole and read recaps of it. And oh my God, what were they yeah, it thinking? Gets worse. This it is gets the worse. biggest leave it I can possibly give it. They literally had to blow up the Marvel Universe to fix this. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I think that blowing, like, I, I, I like to think that people... Uh, invested in the future of the Avengers breathed a sigh of relief when Marvel higher ups made that deal with Leefield and Jim Lee. Oh yeah. Uh, because they were like, Oh Jesus, thank Christ. Because the Avengers were broken. Like there was, they were irrevocably broken. Oh, fundamentally. Um, I mean, there's no, and, there's no cap on this team. You know, like the Iron Man that is here turns out to be a bad guy. Thor is dressed like a moron and barely even around. And they're like, you know, whoever's getting excited about 
Quicksilver and Crystal. We got to give them some more screen yeah. time. Like, uh, I did. I did. Uh, Thor does indeed have spikes. I forgot about the spikes. Like I, I always, I always remember the big chain, but I forget the spikes. Spike and yeah, his pants. outfit is green. Yep. I don't want to pile on. This comic sucks. It's it's a leave it. Uh, this comic sucks. This era of the Avengers sucks. Uh, we talked about this. I think it was probably during our Heroes Reborn uh, conversations a few months back. Um, there was a time when nobody gave two shits about the Avengers. And when we talk about that time, we're talking about this time. Yeah. This time right here. It was for perfectly good reason. Yeah, no, it's garbage. It's terrible garbage. And like, look, Mike Diodato Jr. He is not responsible for the bomber jackets. No, that those nope. came. That was at the end of the Steve Epting run. He, he didn't do it. But Bob Harris, he was the guy in charge of the Avengers for a long time. He's the one who shaved off Herc's beard. He's the one who gave Black Knight a laser sword. Like all of Oof. these things that are like, why the what the fuck? Now, why would you is do this, this to this character? Is this just Bob Harris trying to like? Ex- I don't extremize I don't the Avengers know. or modernize them. I or honestly don't know. I could not kids? tell you. I mean, because it felt yeah, like, like X Men adjacent. So, like, I, like this, this. Well, yeah, because this is obviously like this has this. This, of course, has I have very impressive hollow foil cover oh, that just screams uh, X Men Alpha, Age was of Apo- X Men Alpha, yeah. yeah, Age of Apocalypse Alpha, or whatever it's called, and it's like, yeah, okay. So, yes, they were 100% trying to get in on that sweet X-Men success. Right. And um, it just it didn't work. Uh, this also was this also came during a time uh, where all of the Marvel offices, all of the editorial offices were divided into families and each family was responsible for their own shit, which is why all of the books read so dramatically differently. Oh, man. It's why the Spider-Man books don't look anything like this. It's why uh, the Fantastic Four books barely look like this. Um, but yeah, it's um, this was a dark time. This is like Marvel. It's like bankruptcy is looming large. Everybody's feeling it. We got to do something. And this is what they came up with. And if I don't know what would have happened if it hadn't been for Heroes Return. Because Heroes Reborn is no better. No, but and it gave them like Heroes Were Born did give them some time. It gave them gave press. Them a shot in the arm. It gave yes. them press it, and, and it, it gave it put them butts in the seats. It put butts in seats and it gave yeah. them about four months to sit yes, down right. to sit down and go, how do we fix this when we get out of this shit? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And the the wiser heads prevailed and they said, Well, what's we don't have to fix what wasn't broken to begin with. Right. And we got a back to basics Avengers in that Roger Stern, John Byrne mold from the eighties. Uh, the Roy Thomas, uh, John Buscema, like we do need no. to thank Bob Harris though for giving his life to help defeat on, onslaught <laughs> when he threw himself into the it's onslaught. True, Bob Har- you know, it's a like- shame. It's a shame that Bob Harris was never heard from again, and he definitely <laughs> didn't go to DC and pull this exact same shit. Nope, with the new didn't do anything like that. Avengers assemble! Leave it for me. Let's talk about the X-Men proper. Not any, not none of that copycat X-Men stuff. Proper. Proper. Uh, we are talking about Uncanny X-Men number 428. It's, uh, it's of course, from Marvel Comics. The year of release is 2003. Keep that date in mind, because we're, we're going to talk about that. It's written by Chuck Austin. So you know where, you know how this is going to go. Just buckle up, okay? Yeehaw. Uh, the artist by, okay, I will say this. Right off the bat, props to Chuck Austin. This comic book is 8,000 times better than The Crossing. No joke. Oh, w- without a doubt. 
I, like, I totally agree. like if save you were to for, put a gun to my head and say pick for, one, save that for our end discussion because I am going to put a yeah. gun to your head and we have to pick one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the artist by Sean Phillips. Uh, here is your solicit, and this is actually a solicit. Take a trip back to the past for the first meeting between Mystique and Azazel. Period. Barf. The end. <laughs> that is the entirety of what Marvel.com has to say about the first issue of this infamous storyline, The Draco, which reveals the secret of Nightcrawler's parentage at long last. But they're embarrassed. Cut them some slack. I, no, it's true. I, it's true. It's true. And they should be. Uh, I don't see anybody rushing to undo it, but still. The issue begins, quote unquote, 20 years ago. Or 200 if you ask Matt, and I'm sure it'll come up again in conversation. Well, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, just, just save it. You'll get your chance. Uh, Mystique. Well, okay, real quick. Let's just talk about that timeline. All right. Uh, art, artwork aside, like the way the, the way this environment is portrayed aside. It's supposed to be 20 years ago. 19, doesn't work. 1983. 83. Germany, right. Right. Yes. And uh, this looks like a hammer film. This looks like it's set in 1783 Transylvania. Yes, it takes place in a Germ in a castle in the German countryside. People it is, are riding the castle horses. Is old. Nobody's driving. People ride horses today, Matt. Come I on. get it. These people arrived to the castle on horses, Joe. Is there no road that goes there? I, we don't see them arrive. Yes, come we on. Do <laughs> uh, so. Let's let's speak about the time timeline though. Twenty years ago uh, does not work at all for no. the timeline of uh, the X Men because uh, it puts Kurt at like maybe two years older than Kitty, which is nonsense. Right, he's nineteen um, basically. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it, it doesn't work. Uh, some editor should have caught that, but it, it's irrelevant. Mystique is married to a baron, as I said, living in a castle in the German countryside. She's desperate to conceive for some reason, and so she sleeps her way across the local male populace with no success. Uh, that, my friends, is called rape. Uh, when you pretend to be somebody you're not and have sex, that's rape. <laughs> it's I like guess. when Dr. Octopus is in Peter's body and he's like, hey, Mary Jane, let's do the bone. Let's hop on the bone roller coaster. Well, and there is a scene where she's like, she becomes like servant girl and goes to have sex with dude. And he's like, I don't even think you like me. And she's like, yeah. And they have, they do the thing. Yeah. And then she, so goes, she ruined the servant girl's life. She's like, meet me in my room tonight. And he's like, I don't think I should be doing that. Like that's against the rules. She's like, just do it. And then she goes back to being who she was, goes and lays down. And we hear that night, dude, like, goes into the girl's rooms like let's do this and she's like ah who are you <laughs> right yeah like, i mean so it's obviously it's, it's portrayed as bad so she's yeah. trying to get pregnant i guess she's trying and, to get pregnant and maybe yeah. she's doing it in a bad way but she's also super evil <laughs> very very evil like, that yes, was very... for no reason whatsoever you didn't have to do no that. yeah that was just for funsies right you're a girl. You could just be like, I'm a hot stranger, dude. You want to do this? Yeah, and be like, like go uh -huh. to the local pub and pick up a <laughs> yeah. dude. Like, why do you have to stay within the castle grounds? Right. Uh, now, of course, that is all until she's introduced to a dashing foreign dignitary named Azazel. Uh, long story short, Mystique bones the devil, who predictably bails and leaves her to the mercies of the mutant-fearing public, despite the fact that his grand plan requires his son to make it to adulthood safely. Like, you have a plan. You have a plan that involves siring your own, you know, demon spawned children. And you're like, all right, baby, hope you survive the experience. See you in 20 years. Well, I mean, in the end, you want the kid to survive. The he saves the kid. 
No. Baby he Nightcrawl- leaves. Baby Nightcrawler's not bamfing away. He got bamfed away by dad. No. Night Baby. Yeah. Did you read on? It ends right there. Bamf. The end. Yes. The baby bamfs away, but we don't see. I assume there, there, I assume that was dad bamfing. Okay, baby but away. there's no there's no reason to believe that because a few pages earlier he makes a big show of ditching Mystique. I don't I don't disagree with that. While she's pregnant. I don't disagree with that, but I also think like there was some devil thing like she'll get rid of the kid and I'll just take it. And I'm saying that because yeah, I, I don't think Kurt had powers to teleport and te- like he was covered with blue fur and stuff. Well, but I, he looked like a demon right out of the womb. I agree, but I don't think the teleportation thing happened till later on in his life, as I recall oh, other well, origins. Look, we don't know. And the comic <laughs> offers no clear explanation. Right. The comic doesn't care either. <laughs> yes. The way the way the way it seems is that Devil Dad leaves Mystique uh to fend for herself, even though he needs that kid to live. Right. And she almost gets lynched. <laughs> and then she throws the baby off of a waterfall for some reason. Uh, and then the baby bamps away. She's mad at that baby. She's mad at that baby. She hates that damn baby. I get it. Uh, what follows in subsequent issues is quite possibly the most misguided story in the entire history of the X-Men. And there have been in quite a few. Uh, it gets every single thing about what makes Nightcrawler such a compelling character completely wrong. Oh, yeah. It reduces the usually cunning, conniving mystique into a helpless, cowering, lovesick puppy. Like the last pa- the last line of dialogue in this comic is why couldn't you love me as Azel? like fuck off no that is not mystique she loved him what do you what do you need uh-huh, I mean, right uh i'm not convinced that 20 years ago she wasn't already married to destiny so eat that well that's the other uh, thing like she's been around for how long and like this yeah, guy she's like 200 years old or how some did dumb you thing. end up in this 20 years ago it doesn't make any sense no it does not <laughs> it, it does not uh plus it introduced the ridiculous notion that every minor mutant with even the slightest physical resemblance we're talking surface level meaning blue skin was related that guy abyss from age of apocalypse with shadow powers a Zazel kid. It, like they could have, they could have said in literally any blue character is related what, to a Zazel. Later on, we're going to talk about something more egregious. At least this was just a dude that did a lot of fucking, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's true. It's like Genghis Khan. Like, you know, right. there's some, yeah. there's some dumb statistic that like, right. A, 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 a larger percentage than you would expect of the people currently alive on earth are descended from Genghis Khan, which is wild. This issue is drawn by Sean Phillips, who uh, at least earlier in the in the 400s was the regular artist of Uncanny X-Men. So, of course, it looks good. But the rest of the storyline is drawn by uh, Billy Tan uh, and it looks like Final Fantasy drawings. Uh, Not in a good way. Uh, And Sean Phillips is completely wasted here. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 428. Starts what is, in my opinion, the worst X-Men story ever told. And this is by the same writer uh, that within the same run of issues wrote a storyline where Angel has sex with an underage girl in the sky in front of her parents. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and this has not gotten any better with age. It's a huge leave it. It's awful. Yeah, it, it's just it's too easy. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, they, it's very difficult. And they made it this winding, stupid soap opera. But how easy is it to go? Oh, you know who else has blue skin? Mystique. Oh, what if she was like Nightcrawler's mom, dude? You know, like, whoa. <laughs> like, 
Come on. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's, it's the it's laziest so storytelling. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that like, I don't understand the skull thing on Mystique's head. I would like to discuss this sometime, but the skull thing on her head. I mean, it's part of her costume. I don't okay. think it was there when she was just blue. Hold yeah. I'll look. No, it's, it's there. And it led me to go, okay, so we'll say this is 20 years ago where Mystique was still a mutant and hiding and stuff like that. She gets naked, straight up naked. And she got a blue skull just sitting on her head. And if she's this sweet little thing who's sometimes evil when she wants to fuck with the, the housemaid, I guess. I don't know. Why is she wearing a weird little skull thing? But that's neither here nor there. Chuck Austin wanted so badly to leave some kind of mark on the X-Men. Yeah, I don't get it. That he forced these plots as hard as he could. And you're right. I mean, if you think about this for 30 seconds it falls apart so fast it this is so stupid and i am so glad it was written out and don't worry okay we'll talk more about mutants that ended up not being mutants for a little while and just related to uh something else <laughs> sure uh you're right she does when she does turn back into mystique she's got the skull i don't get um, it um yeah, even when she gets ready to bone azazel right so, yes she's got it in every scene where she's yes. got blue skin and they are very much leaning towards she is not Mystique at this point. So much so that Azazel names her Mystique in oh, this right. comic. Oh, right. It's like, as far as Chuck Austin is concerned, this is her origin, which yeah. makes no fucking sense if she's 200 years old. Alas, that was Mystique, not Magneto. Magneto is in another place. Go, X-Men! Let's get out of this Marvel muck and jump back into the DC pool, shall we? I want to talk Ugh. about Countdown, number 51 from DC. This was 2007. You're saying, Matt, why are you starting with number 51? Well, number 51 was your first issue of Countdown, and it counted down to number one. This was the answer to another series called 52, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Now you're saying, Matt, why didn't they start with issue 52 of this? And I'll tell you. I don't have the slightest fucking clue. <laughs> it just started with 51. <laughs> I mean, they're counting down. I guess. Well, because the final issue was technically number zero. It was DC Universe number zero. So it went from 51 to zero. But it wasn't countdown. That was called DC Universe zero. I know. It should have been 52 to one, but <laughs> right. they didn't do it that way. It doesn't make any sense. This is written by Paul Dini with art by Jesus Saez, but there would be a rotating cast of artists that would go through every issue. Yes. The story begins with not-so-subtle hints from Duella Dent, the Joker's daughter from Earth 2, that not everyone is supposed to be on this Earth. And I don't remember that shit at all. Uh, yeah. I don't remember Duella Dent being from a... I don't remember that period of time having a Duella Dent from an alternate Earth at all. So, old-school Duella Dent that was on the Titans and stuff? She was from Earth 2. I looked her up. I read her whole stupid history. Already. This multiverse shit much work for this had shit. my eyes rolling. I, I had to know. I had to know because I was like, who the fuck is this? I, and we'll get into that in a minute here. The Red Hood stops Duella from kidnapping a Gotham starlet, but she escapes only to be killed by a rogue monitor on a mission to clean up all the remnants of the multiverse living in this reality. Duella, we hardly knew you, baby, but don't worry. She'll be back and even more annoying in the new 52, or at least a girl that was living in the sewers that finds the Joker's face after it was cut off. will start wearing it and calling herself the new 
Joker's daughter. <laughs> yeah, 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 still Duella. That's Dent. what confused uh, me because I mean, and her name is also not Duella Dent because no, that not. was her whole their whole shtick was that she kept going back and forth. She was like, "I'm Two Face's daughter. I'm Duella Dent, Two Face's right. daughter." And she's like, "No, she I'm the Joker's daughter." Also, my name is still Duella Dent. She also names herself Duella Dent. This Duella Dent, yeah, is the daughter of. Another Jessica Dent, I think it was, who was like Triface from Earth Two, like, and the Joker of Earth Two. Which, yes, it makes me want. I wish we had been. I wish we had been filming my reaction because I went through a physical change when you said that. So bad, right? We get a glimpse of Mary Marvel, who just woke up from a coma, cut off from the Shazam family, and her Shazam powers, and then it's straight to the Source Wall. What's the Source Wall, you ask? Well, the Source Wall is a big wall with unknown heroes stuck to it. That surrounds the multiverse and protects the source. Also, it can talk. The monitor asks the source wall what to oh, do. Oh, well, that's a that's a Jack Kirby thing, but yes. Okay, I didn't know that. The monitor yeah, shows up. Yeah, the flaming hand of doom. Yeah, hell yeah, that's Jack Kirby. No, this just screams. The source wall just screams when the monitor no, shows up. No, it traces water. It traces letters in fiery Oh, script. is that what it's doing? Yeah, it's oh, not I, shouting. It's like it's like literally. I did not drawing know letters in the air, flaming letters in the air. I thought it was just Phantom screaming. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't get it. I didn't pick up on that. Regardless, no, I, I I can understand why you'd be confused. Thus begins the weekly giant mess that is countdown. Started with fifty one, ended with issue one for some reason. The year previous, DC ran another weekly series, fifty two. By Mark Wade and friends that oh, helped. Well, that explains why. You know what? That explains it. It went from one to fifty-two, and then down to fifty-one, and back down to one. Not story-wise, but I'm saying like if you look at the way it's numbered, it's like it went up and now it's going back down. But this is a completely different series. It has nothing I understand, to do with fifty-two. Look, I understand that the story is different. I'm just telling you. My I think that's where God. their head was at. Regardless, that series was by Mark Wade and friends. And it helped set up new status quos while Bats, Superman, and Wonder Woman were all on sabbatical. Myself and yep. a lot of other nerds really liked 52, but then yeah. DC editor-in-chief Dan DiDio, he hated it. And Countdown was going to be his quote, 52 done right. <laughs> what we got was a nonsensical mishmash of disparate stories that was supposed to lead into infinite crisis. But the biggest events that happened in this series, such as the death of Darkseid, Jimmy Olsen learning Superman's identity and the death of all the new gods that was immediately undone. So final crisis would make sense. Oh, final crisis. Yes. So thanks for buying a year's worth of comics that don't count kids. Now with that said, I'm giving this issue a skim it. The art was pretty good. It's not bad. It sounded like this could have been fun. And I remember us being on board for about the first 10 issues. And then we all started to go, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is so, going on? Um, here? This is something I will blame editorial for. It ends with this big climactic battle between Darkseid and Orion, and, uh, you know, a bunch of Jimmy Olsen crap going on. And um, none of it matters because DC was also simultaneously publishing a different miniseries by Jim Starlin, which was called Death of the New Gods. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Uh, which actually did end with the Death of the New Gods. But again, that also doesn't matter. Because Grant Morrison was writing Final Crisis, which came immediately following both of those. So maybe yeah, if you want to make an argument that uh, that uh, one of the two counts, you can, but definitely not both. No, uh, because Final Crisis is all about the new gods being reborn, which is why we got stuff like Darkseid taking over uh, uh, Terrible Turpin's body right. and Calabac with a tiger head and that kind of shit. 
this specific comic countdown number 51 is not bad. Um, do I care? No, uh, I don't. I could give two shits about the Joker's daughter also. And this is the thing I was going to say about blaming editorial uh, there. The status quo of anybody in this comic is so buck wild different than what yeah. you would expect. Oh my God. That it needed some sort of primer at the beginning. It's it needed like a two page recap. It's like at this point in time, Captain Marvel is actually Freddie Freeman and Billy Batson is the wizard Shazam. But yeah, Mary but, has been in a coma. And like, a, these are things that happen and they go unmentioned. And it's not a time jump. It's not like this is like, no, no, no. it's just how it's been. This it's is how just, the universe had been at the time. Here's what's going on. <laughs> like, right. What? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, there's no time jump. It's just like, like, this is where the DC universe was at at the time. And yeah, you could argue that if you're reading something called countdown, that is this big DC year long uh, DC centric event, you've probably got your finger on the pulse of that, but I'm here to tell you revisiting it 15 years later. My God, I read all those comics and I went, I read this again and was like, wait, what? <laughs> like Duella, this Duella Dent being from an old, they don't specifically say earth Two, but she's from an alternate universe. And I don't remember anything like that going on. Uh, I, I do remember that the multiverse was reborn at the end of infinite crisis. That's where the idea of 52 came from. Well, Duella Dent is uh, a pre-crisis character. Duella Dent has been around forever, but right. she had appeared post-crisis as well. Yes. Obviously with a very different and origin. they decided she was a leftover from Earth 2. Well, yes, but originally, like when they first, when they brought her, it's kind of a Power Girl situation where like right. when they had to reintroduce Power Girl post-crisis, they had to come up with a new origin for her. Exactly. And then eventually when they realized, oh, we're going to go back to the multiverse, Jeff Johns was like, okay, Power Girl from Earth 2, you know? Right. So yeah, same with Joker's daughter. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, this comic is not bad, but if you go in cold, it c makes no sense. Um, like there are there are multiple monitors, which is something that I had forgotten. Uh, well, it was something that was established uh, in um, one of the one of the big DC anthology one shots, like Countdown to Countdown to Countdown. I, I don't it was even know. Countdown to Countdown. Yes, it was Countdown to Countdown. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but you know, I only remember there only being one from, uh, crisis on infinite earths. And so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on and it doesn't make any sense at all. No. And, uh, but the art is nice. And Paul Dini is a nice. decent writer. It's yeah. just, it, it's a skim it because it's like, what the, it looks like they had to... possibly a fun idea going here, but by the end of it, no, they were making shit up as they went. Oh yeah. I know. It, it didn't uh, go anywhere. And I fully got believe so bad. The Grant Morrison had not handed in that Infinite Crisis shit yet, so they didn't know what he was doing. Final Crisis, uh, pardon yeah. me. Final Crisis, yeah, yeah, and I so mean, they didn't know. And so when he came, it was like it's done. Gave it to him. They went, oh shit. <laughs> like we should see, probably had a phone call with this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and that is. But like Batman R.I.P. was the same thing. Remember Batman R.I.P. Batman R.I.P. was never about the death of Batman, oh, and that's our fault for not for <laughs> not recognizing start. that. Yeah, it's just like it, it is. It's DC editorial, um, not really keeping a handle on what's going on in their books, or and also speaking having to their, each other <laughs> and having their own their having their own ideas about how, what the universe should be, which I guess is the editor's job. But sure. maybe don't make it awful. Good. Luck. Um, Countdown Fifty One is a skim it because this issue is not bad. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Okay, let's. You know what? Let's just look on a bright side for a minute. Let's just take a breath and talk about something good. 
It's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number one from Marvel. It's 2005. It's written by Peter David with art by Mike Waringo. Like, what's not to love? Here's your solicit. Simply a typical day for Peter Parker as your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who has to contend with a new and deadly opponent named Tracer, self-defense lessons with Captain America, and some disturbing news that will change his life in a distinctly negative manner. I remember the other. The storyline that begins in this issue as the sole responsibility of the of then-current Amazing Spider-Man writer J. Michael Straczynski. Not so. Revisiting this, I was reminded that there were actually three titles going on at the time, and each writer handled an entire third of the story. Peter David had the honor of kicking things off, and it's actually pretty good. Like He wrote the entire first month. The second month was written by uh, whoever was writing Marvel Knights Spider-Man at the time. And then the third month was written by uh, Straczynski. And then the fourth month, each creator wrote their own individual book. During this era, Spidey and his family are living in Avengers Tower, or maybe it's just called Stark Tower at the time. I don't remember. His identity is still a secret. This takes place pre-Civil War. And he's hustling for the Daily Bugle. It's like very, other than being living with, other than living with the Avengers, it's very classic Spidey stuff. It it is Avengers Tower. J. Jonah Jameson hates him. He says, I'm an Avenger. We're living rent-free in Avengers Tower. Okay, yeah, yeah, thank you. I just couldn't remember what they named what the name of the tower was. We meet a fun new villain that actually seems pretty formidable. He he his name is Tracer. He's got bullets that follow you and, you know, uh, there are consequences. All in all, it's not too bad. The problem is that Spidey is dreaming about his imminent demise and Morlin, the spider totem vampire is rearing his ugly head. That, that is to say, he is a vampire that specifically, exclusively eats spider totems. Oh, yeah. They're delicious. Have you ever had one? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, but I've heard, you know, I've heard good <laughs> things. It's all in the preparation, though. You know, this storyline leads to a lot of unnecessary stuff that just doesn't work with Spider-Man, like a mystical source to his origin, uh, organic web shooters for that movie synergy and giant forearm stingers. We're talking huge, like Ryan Reynolds as uh whatever they called the not Deadpool, Deadpool and Wolverine origins. They called him Deadpool. Oh, I guess they did call him Deadpool. They called him Deadpool. Uh, It just doubled down on everything JMS was so gung ho about in the middle of his run. And it left a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of fans, me included. However, I thought this issue was really good. It's got humor. It's got drama. It's got some pretty high stakes developments. Like there's a big cliffhanger about Spider-Man's health. He fights this villain and kind of gets his ass kicked, which was, you know, fun to see because it's not like he got his ass kicked in in a way like my aunt is murdered and i have to make a deal with the devil right and everyone's after me because i was an idiot and revealed my secret identity on national television then again he did fight another dude who has like his amazing technology like bullets that can follow you anywhere and so that guy is gonna go you know rob a bank sell that shit to the dod dude (laughs) but you know what that is the charm of the marvel universe it's the tale as old as time Uh, and it's all wrapped up in a wonderful way by with art by the late great Mike Rowingo. It doesn't get any better. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I may not like where it went from here, but as bad beginnings go friendly neighborhood, Spidey number one, isn't I'm giving this a buy it. I enjoyed it. So this was a point where I had stopped reading Spider-Man because the nature of Spider-Man, like it seemed like every month, They're like, next, go pick up Spectacular Spider-Man, then pick up Amazing Spider-Man, then pick up two titles we just made up so you can buy them, Spider-Man. And there was just too much to follow. And you're right. This started really good. And I picked this one up because I like Peter David. 
like Mike Wiringo. I thought Peter David wrote the hell out of this one. Like even the nurse that helps Peter out is very entertaining and fun to read. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked her. And it's not this creative team's fault where this went. So I'm not going to blame them. I mean, but they, they knew what they were getting into, but yeah. Like, I mean, a job's a job, man. And this was hot sure, at the time. Yeah. They were banking on all this crap. JMS was, at that point, was still pretty hot. And say what you will, we all hated those Spider-Man issues. A lot of people bought them. It was still flying off the stands, so. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, we were still working in the comic shop together yeah. at the time. And the these issues all had multiple reprints. And oh, yeah. they all had kick-ass uh, variant covers by Waringo and each new variant cover was a different version of Spider-Man. So like Spider-Man 2099, yeah. Baghead Spider-Man, Cosmic, uh, Captain Universe Spider-Man. It's ba great. Basically everything they could do but the JMS Spider-Man with the stingers and shit. So. <laughs> well, that came at the very end. Yeah, no spoilers. I'm giving this a buy it as well. Again, not its fault. Let's move back to the X-Mansion. Let's talk Wolverine volume three, number 53 from Marvel. It was 2007. This was written by Jeff Loeb with art by Simone Bianchi. Wolverine wakes up in Wakanda. Storm and the Black Panther were married at this point after being jumped by Wild Child, who knocked him out for two days, exclamation point. Wolverine yells. While unconscious, Wolvie has strange dreams about ancient Rome and another large, blonde, saber-toothed mutant killing machine killing another dark-haired mutant with fangs in a gladiatorial ring. For reasons I can't remember, Sabretooth is being held in Wakanda, and when Wolvie goes to ask him about his dreams, we find out Vic knows more than he's willing to tell. Vic, of course, escapes, and Wolvie follows his trail, only to be jumped by Wild Child again. And then he wakes up two days later, Groundhog Day style. But this time, Feral, Wolvesbane, who... Bianchi draws looking like she's wearing a dog's head, <laughs> not so much turned into a werewolf. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's her partial werewolf form. I guess Sasquatch and Thorn are there also on the trail of Wild Child. Who's Thorn, you might ask? Don't worry. She went away real quick. <laughs> Thorn, Thorn is Feral's sister, and she is a creation she, of the 90s. She got killed. Bianchi is a very talented artist, but I never realized how photo referenced all his characters are until I revisited this. Photo and referenced? Totally. Look at their faces. These are obviously all people that he is photo referencing. And it was Wolvesbane's head that gave it away because he legit just draws a wolf's head on a human body. Which I'm a not real it's busty bad. human. <laughs> yeah. The story launches one of the worst ideas a creator has ever had for Wolverine. And there was a time where I loved Jeff Loeb's X stuff. This was just way too much. As it would turn out, the ancient blonde Sabretooth wasn't a mutant at all, but a lupine sapien who evolved from a dog. There were two tribes of lupine sapiens, you see. There was blondes and there were brunettes. And they yeah. fucking hated each other, man. Just like Sabretooth and Wolverine. Do you get it? Oh, and every furry Marvel character, except Beast, mind you, but including Sasquatch, who got his powers from gamma radiation exposure, mind you, they're also lupine sapiens, right? The idea was so stupid, the fans lost their minds at the time. 
but it wouldn't be until five years later in Wolverine 312 where they went back to the old numbering, by the way, that Romulus's sister, Remus, plot twist, Remus in uh, Roman history was a dude, Remus's brother. This time, she's a girl. She shows up and says, nah, that lupine stuff was all BS. We were just messing with you. Poof, we're done here. And Wolverine is once again a mutant, not a dog person anymore. This is bad. <laughs> it's just bad. And as much as I like Simone Bianchi's art, it's very talented. Don't get me wrong. Loeb doing this sort of Groundhog Day thing where Wolverine wakes up twice in the same bed is never really explained. And Bianchi's art is just sort of bizarre enough. It's very beautiful and very realistic, but he has this ethereal kind of style that you just get really lost in what's actually going on here. And just reading this issue, you're not going to have any clue where it's going, but you might get a hint and realize this is dumb as hell. I'm giving this a leave it. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Uh, I'm trying desperately to find uh, this review I'm going to reference. Uh, years ago. Uh, all right. I'm not going to be able to find it, but that's fine. Uh, years ago, there was a website that I loved. It was called the X axis and yeah. it was a review site written by a British guy. And all he did was review every X book that came out that week. Yep. Um, and it's like, he was a fan and uh, you know, that's great. And God love him for it. But he was also uh, whip smart, uh, too clever for his own good and absolutely savage when it came to bad reviews. Like he was not going to let this shit stand. And so when this comic, <laughs> when this comic came out, it may not have been this specific issue. It may have been a future issue in, in the run where, where this stupid mythology leads. Um, there's something about how uh, Jeff Loeb does not understand the difference between a dog, a cat, and a mythical creature. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> because let me tell you, Lupine. Okay. All right. Yes. Uh, wolf esque. Right. Uh, right. Fine. Um, do you know what isn't Lupine? Cats. Do you know what also isn't Lupine? Sasquatches. So let's just back up. Let's just take that off the table because yes, that is dumb. And he totally misunderstands that, but yeah. that misses the point here. I think, no, the, yeah, you're right. Your right. major point is that they're basically saying, remember how we thought Wolverine was a mutant. He's not, he's a dog man from a long race of dog men. Despite the fact that a Wolverine is not a dog. Right. And you know why Sabretooth hates him? Because he's got blonde hair and Wolverine has black hair. And the blonde hair yeah, dogs, like they're the Hatfields and the McCoys of of this weird race. They uh, hate the black hair dogs. <laughs> so, come on! I don't know what their end game was here, but this came right out of the playbook of the early two thousands X Office with Chuck Austin, where they're like, and now Angel is revealed to be a subset of mutant, uh, where there are a bunch of different mutants and right. they have angelic healing powers, and also there are werewolf mutants, and right. they're the sworn enemies of the. But it, stop it. It's like everything Just you know about the X-Men and is wrong down to the fact that they're mutants. Okay, well, the reason we, we love the X-Men is what makes them great is they're mutants. Right. They're outcasts from society and stuff. And now you're telling right. us, no, they're not. You know, like it's the ultimate human relation or the relatable human story where it's like this person is an outcast because he's different. Just like me. Nope. Sorry, his dad's the devil. That's the reason he's an outcast. Right. The reason he looks like a demon is not because it was a 
fluke of DNA. It's no, his dad's the devil. N- Cut it out with that bullshit, Marvel. Um, this comic, uh, baffling direction, uh, beautiful art. Right. Um, like you want to call it photo referenced. I don't really agree with that. I, I think that uh, like it's, I think Simone Bianca has got a very uh, distinct style and I think his faces all look very uh, similar, very distinctly Simone Bianchi, not like, oh, that is a person. Uh, but that's just me. I don't know. Um, I, I happen to read this, uh, there, that this uh, run of Wolverine stories had black and white variants where the entire issue was in black and white. And that's what I read. And it's beautiful in black and white. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It looks so good in black and white as though it, like the color is irrelevant. What is your rating? Um, it, it's a... Mm, it's a leave it. Okay. It sucks. <laughs> we are done here. <laughs> it's uh, it sucks big time, um, but not because of the art. No. My final review goes to Amazon's attack. Number one. This also came out in 2007. This of course was DC comics. This might written concrete, by Will. 2007 is the worst year for comics ever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Uh, it's written by Will Pfeiffer with art by Pete Woods. Here's your solicit. Spinning out of the pages of Jody Picoult's Wonder Woman. Who? Comes the first major comic event of 2007. Well over a year has passed since the events of Infinite Crisis, including the retreat of the Amazons to the realm of the gods. Uh, I sense a pattern emerging. But now they're back, screaming for vengeance. What could compel the Amazons to renounce their peaceful ways and attack America? The answers will prove useless to a country and hero population utterly unprepared for this savage attack. And where is Wonder Woman while all this is going on? What a great question, Solicit. I wish the issue itself took any time at all to answer it. (laughs) As I just read, this issue spins out of a Wonder Woman run that I forgot even existed. Uh, In fact, everything about this is forgettable as well. The only thing that anyone remembers about Amazon's attack is that it's real bad and that they use weaponized bees at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, In fact, there is a quote from Batman in a future issue that's where he says, bees. My God. This is a guy that fucking punched dark side in the face. Yep. It's true. Okay. Yeah, it's, true. Uh, <laughs> it's a shame because Pfeiffer and Woods are a pair of talented creators. I've, I've loved a lot of Pfeiffer's writing in the past, especially hero. Uh, I've also been a fan of Pete Woods forever, uh, but this is just 22 pages of Amazon's running a rough shot over America, almost completely unchallenged by any heroes at all. Where are all the heroes? Uh, except for the one that happened to work in the white house at the time. Within the first few pages, the Amazons start slaughtering men and children, just as you'd come to expect from their years as Wonder Woman supporting characters. Sure. Yeah. They're Hippolyta, pissed, joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hippolyta acts so out of character that people believed at the time that she was being mind controlled. Spoilers. She wasn't. It's nope. her. And speaking of the larger event, Wonder Woman is barely in it, like at all. I'd forgotten nearly everything about Amazon's attack and I wish I hadn't been reminded of it. I'm giving this a leave. It sucks. So I read something that said that wonder woman literally shows up in like eight panels. Of this I thought story. it was like three pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So eight, yeah. <laughs> Just so one of the things that I can't stand about Atlantis in the Marvel universe is they constantly talk about how fucking badass they are. And anytime we wanted to, we could rise up and take over the world. And they show up and they're like, we're mad. We're just super mad. We're gonna take over the world. And, and everybody's like, oh no, they're here. And they beat them back, right? 
The thing that was interesting about the Amazons is they weren't like that. They were smart. They were enlightened. They were peace loving and they kept themselves hidden because they just don't want any part of our shit. Now, if you want to tell me that they are going to get so fucking mad (laughs) that they show up and start killing kids okay. in the street like, like in the middle of the street at the lincoln the, memorial yeah like and they're not being mind controlled you have nope. got to give me a very good convincing reason why that happens and we i don't think they ever do we never get there <laughs> we no. never do this was nonsense just to like literally write some type of atlantis attacks type story but they went with the amazons for some reason this is so throwaway and done just to do it. It's complete plot device bullshit. And so much so that they literally have to take heroes off the board. They have to. Otherwise, there's yeah. no threat. There's no threat. Because, like, Superman can deal with this. Sorry. Wonder well, Woman no, like, can fucking look, they deal do, with this. They do show up with a huge-ass army and a bunch of mythical creatures. And so I it's like, it that. is an impressive army. But Wonder Woman diffuses this. The Green Lantern Corps diffuses this. I mean, like, there's yeah, so I'm like, many where's the ju- Where is anybody from the Justice League? Right, and during, Batman's during just like, crisis. oh my god, I'm scared. <laughs> like, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is just a bad plot device. A huge leave it and an embarrassing mark on the Wonder Woman's history at DC. You know how how um, 52 had all those lead in or Infinite Crisis had all those lead in books like OMAC Project and and uh, and whatnot. Like, sure. This was sort of one of those. Absolutely. For Countdown. This was at that. This is that time we were talking and, about where DC was like, oh, shit, this stuff isn't selling really. We've got all these sodas and they're not selling really well. But what if we shook them the fuck up? You know, <laughs> what if we just right. give them a violent shake? And then when yeah. the kids open it, they'll go, oh, <laughs> it sprays all and over like, them. And Maybe they'll like, like that. And no, like, you wouldn't like that. You bought a soda. You wanted to drink something. And now you're soaked yeah, and exactly. sticky. Fuck you, Amazon's attack. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to take anything away from Jody Picoult, who did not write this comic. But no. they attribute this as spinning out of Jody Picoult's run on Wonder Woman. Jody Picoult is a very famous author. Her at the time, her run, uh, her run was big news. So. Everything I read in my research of this one said this has nothing to do with Jody. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I'm just yeah, but I mean, my point, my point is, is this is just DC doing what DC was doing at the time, yeah. and it they were not doing anything great. It's just shaking shit up to see what happens. Yep. Speaking of DC shaking shit up. Let's talk about Justice League, the rise of Arsenal for a minute. This is num- number one from Can DC. Abstain? It was 2010 and three years after Amazon's attack, DC had not learned their lesson yet. This was no. written by JT Kroll with art by Geraldo Borges. Spinning out of the pages of James Robinson's Justice League Cry for Justice. Let me say that again. Joe's boyfriend, James Robinson, wrote Look, Justice League Cry for Justice. We just reviewed a comic book that Peter <laughs> David wrote. Where, from a terrible storyline. Where Prometheus blows up Star City, killing Roy Harper's daughter, Arsenal, at this point. And then Well, he was Red Arrow at the time because he, he was in Brad Meltzer's Justice League. Yes. Oh, okay. And then cuts Roy's arm off because I guess DC was feeling mean at the time. This issue begins with a previously unseen battle with Prometheus in Cry for Justice number five, where Roy loses an arm and it takes off from there. You see. It was beautifully illustrated, a painted book. And Roy shows up in the end with his arm ripped off. And he's like, I can't feel my arm. The blood and the gore is spraying straight at the, you know, the reader. Cause they were like, DC's hard and extreme now. Get used to it, punk. This is what it's like. 
Well, we needed to see that fight. Roy is understandably upset he wasn't there when his daughter was killed. And while on painkillers, he's visited by his former and now dead bandmate who OD'd. By the way, they're in a band called Great Frog, apparently. <laughs> Great Frog. It was, this, it was the 70s. This is from a story that referenced Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' Green Lantern, Green Arrow storyline, Snowbirds Don't Fly where Roy is outed as a drug addict, although they take it way further in this storyline. And later on, Roy's dead buddy's ghost reminds him about the time that they, quote, got high and double teamed a couple skanks. I don't remember that from the Neil Adams story, but hey. Yikes. <laughs> Kroll's completely obvious and out of character story forces Roy into a downward spiral of anger and revenge that sees him trying to kill his baby mama, Cheshire, who was a terrorist that wants to destroy the whole country with nukes, but that's a different story. But that's true. he then decides to have sex with her, only he can't get it up. Because of the drugs. And ultimately, he ends up strung out on heroin in an alley, cuddling a dead cat that he thinks is his daughter. Yes. I'm crapping uh, with, you negative, uh, I mean, folks. he's at this point, he has a bionic arm as well, so he's doing it with two hands. Sure. Cry for Justice started out okay, but it quickly devolved into a violent hero torture fest that saw several characters acting completely out of character just to push the idea that maybe we should be killing villains. What better way to force the issue than by maiming Roy Harper and killing his daughter in the follow-up series? <laughs> this creative team took that garbage, set it on fire, and then tried to beat it out with the same dead cat that Roy thought was little Leanne. The rise of Arsenal may be the logical extension to the ham-fisted bullshit that was Cry for Justice, but it also is widely considered to be one of the worst superhero storylines of all time. Specifically issue three. Just Google Rise of Arsenal issue three. That's the three. dead cat issue, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> and you'll yeah. see what I mean. I don't know if I can go as far as saying that this is the worst comic series I've ever read, but I will call it an extremely mean-spirited, pointless morality play with some of the worst drug dialogue I have ever read. <laughs> well, this you is know. such a complete and total leave it. And again, this is that time where DC was just trying anything to be relevant, to be harder than Marvel and yeah. more extreme. And if that means that we got to take a bunch of our heroes that used to kind of like each other and behave and turn them into fucking maniacs, then so be it. <laughs> yeah. I, my memory of the timeline is hazy because we're talking a long time ago now. We're talking almost 15 years. And I know that I read all these comics. I, I absolutely did. Um, I read Cry for Justice. Oh. I was baffled by the ending. You and Big Mike. I read stormed around the comic shop stomping and screaming yeah yeah i, I remember uh, the thing about cry for justice is that cry for justice if i'm remembering correctly um was alarmingly late yes uh because of the very beautiful painted artwork uh they had to uh, scott clark um r.i.p scott clark had to come in and um finish the series yeah, so it was delayed a lot. I'm not sure if they were just had to if they just had to go like full steam ahead with uh, Rise of Arsenal because Cry for Justice wasn't out yet. It I, I, I don't yeah. remember the time of it. It had the, not the finished. Order of events. I believe this started before the second to last issue of Cry for okay, Justice so, came out. Yeah, which is even so, better because you're like, 
Bruh. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's like, we've got this whole plan. We've got this whole plan and we're going to spin Roy off into this Titans reboot where he leads a team of villains. And we got to get this show on the road because this one mini series is going to end up delaying like four or five books. And we can't have that. Right. Uh, well, turns out maybe you could have, you sure. should have probably just waited. I, I can't say for sure that reaction to the rise of Arsenal drove JT Kroll away from comics. But when was the last time you heard of JT Kroll? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, it, let's just say that you did something in your job tomorrow and the whole world <laughs> went, Jesus yeah. Fucking Christ! Who is this Joe Patrick guy? Yeah, Would yeah, you stay yeah, in yeah, your job for sure. <laughs> like, no, no, and it, yeah. And this I is mean, on the news. Like people yes, you don't know. Yeah, like, it, it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 problematic to say the very least. And you were just doing your job. It's not like you showed up naked and pooped all over. Yeah, yeah, like, no, you were no, just like you're yes, just sir, Mister. Yeah, doing yes, your sir, job. Mr. Didio, <laughs> yeah. I've got the outline. I've got the outline, sir. I'm ready. <laughs> right. The the art by Borges is is not great. No. Um, I I don't love it. Uh, but you know you, you can't you can't really judge a man and until you double team a couple of skanks with your dead best friend on heroin. Uh, don't now. forget on heroin. So I I don't know. It, this is a leave it because it's so bad. But um, it's hard to blame anyone for it. I think is where you're going. Yeah, it's this. hard to blame anybody not actually in charge. Right. Yeah, this book is a huge leave it. If you find it in the back issue bin, pretend like you didn't see it. Like, act like it's the cassette tape from the ring. Don't look at it. Don't watch it. That's eight classic comics reviewed and bad storylines discussed in Titanic THN fashion. But before the Cosmic Long Box sends us home, we have to pick one of these to enter the THN permanent collection. Again, I ask, can I abstain? No. The Cosmic Longbox will not let us horsey ride it back to our timeline if we don't do this. <laughs> okay, but um, will it just kick me to another bad theme or will I be stuck in this bad theme? Oh, it could get worse. It could get even worse than this. Okay, well then, Matt, what's getting back and boarded this week? <laughs> I'm going to say it's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. It's from a fun time in Spider-Man adjacent comics, but maybe not so much Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and there's right. nothing like, look, there's some dumb stuff they did in that book. I agree. But I think the worst things that we talked about today are a perfect example of what happens when editorial gets in its own way. We have evidence that James Robinson was writing a perfectly good book, you know, over here. And that JT Grohl had written some stuff that was fine. And we find it very hard to believe that they decided to come and be like, you know what? I got an idea. It's completely off kilter. doesn't make any sense. And it's totally bizarre yeah. from what I'm writing, but I really want to do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like Peter yeah, David I mean, didn't come up with the other either. That is right. It's an editorial idea. This Moreland bullshit and the vampire shit, you know, like the spider totem crap. This was a time where editorial thought it knew what was best for comics, and it shows. The the Superman comic that you talked about, look, that's just a bum storyline with that John Byrne wrote. He tried. Right. Sorry, yeah, that's, that's, that's from a decade earlier than right. anything else we reviewed. So. But the bulk of the shit, whether it's Wolverine being a dog person, Nightcrawler being a demon, you know, Arsenal back on heroin and losing, yeah, you know, right. losing his arm, all this shit. It is the perfect example of editorial getting in the way and trying to sell comics the way it thinks comics should be done. 
Yeah. And I remember at the time there was a lot of like people made a lot of hay about like editorial mandate. And it's like, um, yeah, well, I mean, and I think at the time, maybe my instinct was to defend a lot of the stuff going on because it's like, look, man, these creators, like, we don't know what's going on. You we didn't tell Mark Wade what. got fired, <laughs> and then you were yeah, like, and well, right, and then fucker, <laughs> yeah, and then it's just like, it's bad. It's it's bad when the creators aren't allowed to create. It's bad. Again, we weren't there. We don't have any inside knowledge about any of this stuff. But um, it does certainly seem like this was not a an era where creativity ruled. Pick your book. Uh, so we were talking about. I know, but sorry, you're trying to get out of it. I know what you're doing. I'm not trying to get out of it. It's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's okay. literally the only right. comic we gave a buy it to this week. That's true. Want to read along with us? Well, you can find our episodes review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. And don't forget to check out our Instagram feed. It's all under Twitter. There, you'll find it there. Where we post our covers of the week every Wednesday. Joe still hasn't gotten me his. Son of a bitch! You better get that. Oh, done. sorry. Also, I was real busy today. Let us what? Let us know what you thought about these comics. Maybe you lived through this time period too, and we would love to hear what it feels like when you revisit them. Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on the Facebook. We do it live from eleven to noon Central Standard Time. As we reconstitute in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, riding the cosmic long box, horsey back style, of course, it's time to take off our boots, powder our saddle sores, and tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next week. I regret not doing a yeehaw accent this whole time. <laughs> yeah, this was your time. I know. Matt, if they are only buying one comic book next week, what's it gotta be? Okay, you're gonna think I'm insane when I say this. Trust me, I'm not. This is the title. Death of Doctor Strange, number one of five. Not the, just Death of Doctor Strange. That's what it's called. From Marvel Comics, it's $4.99. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Lee Garbett. Here's your solicit. Death comes for the Sorcerer Supreme! Doctor Stephen Strange is the world's greatest neurosurgeon and Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. He defends our planet from the supernatural and interdimensional threats no other hero is equipped to handle. But what would happen? If he unexpectedly died, who would protect Earth and keep the mystical evils at bay? And most importantly, who killed Stephen Strange? The final chapter in the life of Doctor Strange starts here by Jed McKay, who's been working on Moon Knight and Black Cat, two books we both very much enjoy. And Lee Garbett worked on Captain Marvel. Lee Garbett is also great. Now, I was afraid this was going to be some kind of what if Elseworlds, whatever. Apparently, it is not. This is happening to Doctor Strange. Deal with it. Jed McKay is very good. I trust him, and I want to see where this goes. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think it'll be interesting to say the very least. And if you're not reading his Moon Knight, shame on you. It's fucking great. It's pretty good. My pick for next week is Frontiersman number one from Image. It's three dollars ninety nine cents. It's written by Patrick Kindlin with art by Marco Ferrari. You just solicit patience, conviction, revenge. Mm, typo. Patrick Kindlin and Marco <laughs> Ferrari return with an all-new ongoing series. Classic Green Arrow-style adventure blends with the thoughtfulness of concrete in a superhero odyssey for mature but uncynical readers. Frontiersman is coaxed out of retirement by an environmentalist group, only to find that being a spokesperson makes him a target for old and new enemies alike. It's for the superhero reader looking for me? I, is this translated? 
<laughs> I bet it's looking for more. I bet it's looking for more, and they just did not edit the solicit yeah, very well. I don't know. It's a weird. It's solicit. full. It's full. It's loaded with typos. But the art um, looks fantastic. Yes. Uh, yes. And you know what? You, like, if you're calling your shot and you're likening your new book to concrete, it, that's ballsy. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, I like the idea. I like the idea of kind of like a Green Arrow esque hero who's known for being more socially conscious, being brought out of retirement uh and that not being all it's cracked up to be sounds like fun to me check it out frontiersman the thn trade of the week goes to fear case it's from dark horse it's 1999 it's written by matt kent with art by tyler jenkins and here is your solicit a no-nonsense secret service agent and his new age partner i don't know what that means investigate a mysterious spot oh hippy dippy got it investigate a mysterious box known as the fear case which has appeared i'm doing quotes and no one can see <laughs> which has appeared throughout history as sites of disaster and tragedy whoever comes into possession of this case must pass it on within three days or face deadly consequences oh i read the first issue of this okay the agents must track down the fear case while staying one step ahead of a psychotic cult and the otherworldly forces behind the case's existence this collects the four issue miniseries I read the whole thing and it was awesome. I had forgotten about it until you got into into the description. But yeah, it's uh, I remember reading this and really enjoying. Totally awesome. Tyler Jenkins and Matt Kent once again, like doing his all encompassing sort of like almost mystical conspiracy type book where this is like beyond government. There's something else really creepy going on here. And it's fantastic. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And also, nope. Yeah. Just don't do that as two separate sentences. Oh. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And remember, the THN Take a Look It's in a Book Club read for September is Jeff Smith's Tukey, which was a Kickstarter joint successfully funded. And it is available now for pre-order in hardcover and softcover formats at Jeff Smith's website, Boneville.com. You can order your copy now. We will be reviewing it in advance. And so deal with it. You can you can get in on not quite the ground floor, but like, you know, the mezzanine. Excelsior. (laughs) That is it for teaching 635. And next week, happy birthday to DC's new 52. It's 10 years old. So we're going to revisit it to see if there was anything worth reading in our comic pushers. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. In our comic pushers new 52 edition segment. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following on our Facebook, hit us up on our live call in show. THN cover to cover. We do it every Saturday from 11 to noon over on Facebook Live. And don't forget about our question of the week. In a uh, in a display of uh, corporate synergy, this week's question was submitted by me. I now that we've had solidarity, a... come on. <laughs> sure, it's corporate synergy. Uh, now that we've had a decade to process the new Fifty Two reboot, which titles were your favorites, and which ones totally missed the mark? What do you think? Uh, pardon me. And do you think that the relaunch was a good move for DC in the long run? Now that's the tricky part of the question. Yeah. You have to separate. You have to separate the reality of what it meant for DC from your own opinion of the books. Was it a good thing or was it a bad thing? I love it. Based on what we read this week, I can tell you where my opinion lies. (laughs) 
please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. I appreciate you guys that have been sending them in and we will get to them. You can send those in via email or uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever. You can also call us at 402-819-4894 or join the action on Zoom by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live video chat as we record. If you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to two-headednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. So you can also send a question of the week in that format. Record an MP3, email it to me. Absolutely. Remember, uh, please try to keep it uh, brief. Uh, brevity is the soul of wit. Uh, two minutes or less is the sweet spot so that we can share the air with the other nerds out there. If you're new to the show and you'd rather hack one of our arms us and get us hooked on heroin than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is... You can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box. And apparently on the older episodes, I wasn't as obnoxious over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. No, you've, it's only happened in your old age. Oh, I see. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Mr. Tim Mayer, local celebrity. Right. Tim Mayer. Local artist extraordinaire, Tim Mayer. Yeah. Remember he used to talk to us and he got too famous. I mean, it's nice and still fund us though, but like he's way too big time for us now. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to... Well, I don't like to think it, but it, in my darker moments, I think that maybe he just doesn't remember he does it. <laughs> like most of our donors. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Brian K. Period Vaughn and Pia Guerra as their baby. Why the last man finally makes it to TV this week. Word to you guys. I hope it's good. I'll be watching it tonight and we'll be talking about it this Saturday. So tune in, nerds. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just swap it for a dead cat and you won't even notice because you're so fucked up on heroin, bro. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. But first, your onomatopoeia of the week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hello, this is Security AI, Aegis from Earth 27, calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. It is 81 seconds since I last deployed countermeasures. Do not be alarmed by the odor of burning flesh in the blue area offices. This will dissipate soon. Your onomatopoeia of the week is... is the sound of the League of Annoyance being attacked by a pack of rampaging marsupials in issue 5 of Wonder Twins written by Mark Russell and published by DC Comics in 2019. Remember, Aegis is always watching. It's for your protection. Goodbye.